Welcome back to another episode of the Mad Ballad Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Reina Erika. Welcome back. Today I'm a little stuffy. My allergies are working me. Worth it, though. I got to come and spend time with our guest who's here today, one of my lovely friends. So I got to fly out to California, hang out with my buddy Rami, take allergy pills, (laughs) live the life, not complaining at all. So today I wanted to talk about identities um i don't know if i've told you guys already but as an afro latina these are some identities that i have chosen and i'm working through so this is something that i'm also always thinking about and always figuring out ways to how do i want to be seen and how do i identify and what does that how why does that matter and why do we choose these labels um and i feel like rami is great to do that with we (laughs) talk about it a lot it comes up so let me introduce my lovely friend. Welcome to the show, Rami. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for hosting us. Thanks for coming to California to to record your show. Oh my goodness. This is this podcast is coming on strong. <laughs> I'm traveling, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's I'm so grateful that I'm your guest in California. Perfect. Yes. It's gonna be a very California episode. Yes. As you're wearing an avocado t-shirt. Avocados, and I'm going to be like, yeah, bro. <laughs> Rami, tell the people a little bit about yourself. You're an artist. Um, I am an artist. I call myself a, a writer, performer, storyteller. Um, I don't like to use the word actor for some reason. Um, and when I say theater artist, that's too like vague. So I say I'm a writer, performer, storyteller. I like to write. I like to perform my work. Um, and I really uh, believe in the power of storytelling. And a big part of my job is uh, generating the stories of others and getting them to do to invest in their own storytelling. So that's a huge part of how I see myself. Not only do I invest in my own story, but I think we should all invest in our own stories. Yeah, maybe the stories of others. The story. We should all show up, up and tell our story. So, Rami, I'm always like to tell our background, how we met, how we came about. Um, I remember graduate school, and Rami and I hadn't been like work a lot of group projects. Program was a lot of that. Um, and all my friends were like, oh my God, Rami, oh my God, Rami. Yeah, obviously, as you know, Ben. Our technical engineer, genius. And you know Brisa, our producer right there, all like, oh my God, we love Rami. And I'm like, oh, I haven't really had a chance to like bond with Rami, get to know Rami like this. So I had to jump in. And of course, Rami was fabulous. Oh, I didn't know I had a reputation. I did not know. <laughs> I did not know people were talking about me. I mean, you ask questions. It's a small program. <laughs> oh, okay, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> what do you remember? Um, I like. I believe we worked together early on, so it's like I don't remember. Uh, I don't remember feeling like, oh, I haven't connected with Rena yet, but I've connected with others because I think we did our first final project together. <laughs> you know, so it's like our very first class we were taking. We we were the final with Brisa. The with three Brisa. of us were all final, or we're doing that project together. Um, but I do remember meeting you. It was overwhelming for me. I was just moved to New York. So I was in a new city. 
I was meeting new people. You're a local New Yorker. I knew that from the start. You let everyone know that you're a New Yorker. <laughs> and I let everyone know that I'm a West Coaster. I'm a Californian through and through. And you, you probably could attest that I made that clear while I was there. Yes, yes, yes. I feel like New York and California have a little love thing. You know, people from New York go to California. People come to New York all the time. It's like a healthy, a healthy competitive love. Yes. We understand that th we're each great in our own way, even though when you come out here from New York, you really, you really see how special it is. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, we're in a pandemic, so you're seeing definitely like a different version of California um, than probably normal. Um, but probably also because New York is different these days. So yeah, maybe it's a little easier. Like the differences aren't so great. I wanted to have you on, Rami. So we can talk about identity because I feel like it's something that, A, it's a big part of our work and then the work that we create and in telling our stories and, um, and finding community, mm -hmm. really trying to find people who identify similar or people who understand our identities. Mm -hmm. um, and I know you're working on your memoir. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so how do you identify or how do you, or how do people view you? Um, you know that thank you. It's a I that's always a pretty large question because yeah. if we're talking about identity as like a form of labels, mm -hmm. as like just a series of labels, you know, the the label the list of labels goes on and on. It's like, "Oh, I identify as a man." Yeah. Or a cisgender man. I identify as a uncle. I identify as a brother, a son. You know, and all these things um so there's so many labels you could put on and it's it's important obviously like the label you you choose to call yourself, you know, like words mean things and everything, but um I would say Did that Did you get that from the read? What? Words mean things. The read? Yeah. No, what is that? No, okay. Shout out to Crystal. I okay. think just another podcast and Crystal always, they have a whole cool t-shirt and it's like words mean things. Words mean things? Yeah, that's like, what they I feel do. like people forget that. And but then you have do. to remind them. I believe words mean things. You know, I believe thoughts are things. Words words are important. Words are a power. They definitely mean things. Um, <clears throat> though I don't like to get too hung up on semantics, um, but maybe I do. Um what was I saying about identity labels? <laughs> I feel like the labels go on and on and on. Um, I, a lot of the ways I see myself, I see myself as a queer person of color. I see myself as a Muslim American. I see myself as a Arab American, Egyptian American, um, a first generation American child of immigrants. These are all things how I identify myself. Um, because I believe those are, I'm actively like practicing those identities like on a daily basis, you know. Um, but the other identities of like, you know, friend and you know, brother or uncle or stuff like that, you know, those are those are just labels. Those are always in like relation to other people, mm. you know. Like, what are your like identities that are singularly yours, you know? I try to think back of like, when did I start to think that it was important to self-identify? Because I feel like a lot of times, at least I felt growing up that people label you like I was very tall or I had big feet, <clears throat> you know, people add things about you or make ideas about what you are based on that. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then I really felt like for me, my identity, uh, like I had to claim it, like I had to just tell them who I was because 
I didn't like what they were saying or how they were labeling me just based on the outside. Yeah, like your 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 physical appearance also gets people to label you a certain way. That's for sure. Um it's interesting that when you ask about identity, I never really uh, think about my physical appearance. But in the same but I do like identify as a person of color, identify as a brown person, identify as tall, identify as heavy. Um, I've always been, you know, uh, never been very like lean or trim or anything like that. I've always had, you know, uh, extra layer of fat on me ever since I was a kid. And so I, I do sort of, I think, identify as like a heavy person. But at the same time, I think that's still maybe even in response to how the world sees me. You know, it's like, would I identify as heavy if it was just me? You know, but it's the way people treat me, you know, the way like say other like men treat me, you know, like the way how I'm perceived based on my body. Um, I think that has informed my label, but it's not a label I would it's not a way I would identify, I think, from my own self. Yes, if that makes sense. Our identities are so mixed up in so many things, right? Because just now we just touched like how people view us and how our family views us and then how we feel we are and then. I'm thinking about work, right? How a lot of people, their identity is wrapped up on like what they do. Yeah. I am a lawyer. Yes. I am a doctor. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's like so attached to their identity and not to, not judging that at all, but just saying that that's like another layer to it. Yeah, that their professional career is like a huge marker of their identity. That's yeah. true. That's true. That's the sort of capitalistic sort of society that we were brought up in, that your trade is sort of your... Your identity. Yeah, who you are, right? You yeah. chose this, so you must be that. Mm-hmm. More, more boxes. Yes, more boxes. <laughs> more boxes. Put us in more boxes. Yes. So in your memoir, what are you working on? Tell us a little bit about huh. why a memoir. Why a memoir? Well, I, I was saying a few minutes ago that I do uh, believe in the power of like personal storytelling and people being able to tell their own story. Uh, in many ways, like the more you can own your experience and reflect on it and process it you know the more you're able to kind of like heal trauma or um let go of any kind of wounds you're holding on to um the more you sort of own who you are articulate who you are uh, try to make meaning of why things happen the way they have what your part in it it was or you know, just why you are the way you are. I think the more you can, like, process it and articulate it, the more you can let it go. You know, you kind of can... Make sense of it. Make sense of it and not live the rest of your life sort of in reaction to it. Having fully processed or unpacked it, you can now, you know, live a life... um with new knowledge. Do you think you, know? you just have to accept that that's who you are? Okay, I will say that I think in our society, we are typically not um, encouraged to go that deep within. You know, I think we're encouraged to kind of like be productive, do your work, you know, raise your families or whatever. Um, but you don't can't really take the time to, you know, be in... in pain or like be to suffer you know you are expected to just get over it and be productive we don't give ourselves the the freedom to be uncomfortable um 
it's almost like we're afraid of the trauma that, you know, we've experienced. And we actually keep committing more trauma the more we ignore whatever we're holding on to. So I think that me working on my memoir, me, in, me investing in my own storytelling and trying to get people to invest in their own storytelling, that kind of interrupts sort of the dominant culture of sweeping things under the rug, avoiding things, ignoring things, which really is not physically good for you. Yeah. You know, like that not just me- emotionally, it's not physically good for you. Do you think that's connected to like the pride or the ego or Yeah, definitely the ego is the ego is like our biggest enemy when you think about it. You know, it's like if you can understand that anything that any pain or suffering that you are going through is sort of based on a story you're telling yourself, you know, um Sure, like there might be real things that are causing you pain and suffering, but you have a choice whether to to view yourself as like someone who's a victim of, you know, what's happening or can your ego, you know, change the narrative, view pain as an opportunity or as a teacher, you know, and rather than hold on to trauma, you know, walk away with lessons. It's all the stories that our mind tells ourselves about a thing. Yeah. I think I want to bring that back to identity, feeling like, you know, your perspective and how much you view yourself as a positive person. You know what I'm saying? Like how you how you want to be for you. Yeah. I mean, and I think in general identity, that's that is ego. You know, like if I was to answer your question, how to identify earlier, I should have been just been like, you know, I am a spirit in human form identity i think you know is really necessary but because of this world and the e- the egos that we're attached to and the way the way other people's egos react to us you know we start adding again these labels and these stories and suddenly i'm arab american or suddenly i'm heavy or suddenly i'm brown and it's like i don't need to be any of those things yeah. you know because we're all the same yes right essentially I think about it. I think it comes up for me, too, around like my birthday. And I know you have a birthday coming up. But like, you know, that feels like a time of what am I? Where am I? What am I doing? How am I seen? And every year having another opportunity to kind of rebrand. Yeah. Rebrand or like let go, like like strip the layers, you know, strip yourself of those ego of the layers of the ego that tell you you are these political identities. And and it's a real, we live in a real world. We don't live in the spiritual form. We live in the physical form. I'm a spiritual person, as if you could not <laughs> all tell. But it's like our spirits are in our physical bodies at this moment in time. and But these physical bodies keep us in such pain and suffering. They really do. It's the so narrative. Basically, Rami's saying is don't, don't let your pride get you killed. Yeah. Basically. Exactly. You know, um, be at peace, like try to try to just connect to your breath and connect to your just singular do you do yoga existence. And stuff? I meditate. I, I do meditate, yoga. Yeah. I do yoga. I've been doing yin yoga a lot lately. Um, I pull out my yoga mat. Um, the pandemic has really forced me to go within, like yeah. really, really. I'm also you just said I'm a, a, I have a birthday coming up. I'm about to turn 40. It's a big How deal. Exciting. It's a big deal. Is it? 40 is a big deal. Like 40 is an ominous number. There's like there if you just think about how, how many times 40 has come up in like 
folklore or just stories or whatever, like, I'm reading this book. Can I talk about it? It's called Think and Grow Rich. Yes. Uh, you know I've this, heard of this book, yes. Um, and uh, I can't remember. It's in my room. I should go get it. Um, it uh, was written in the 1930s, and it's about all these 13 secrets to, like, generating wealth, and not just financial wealth, like creative wealth, you know, um, like, just value. And a, a big thing it talks about is how at around 40 years old, People start to, you know, make decisions that place them in the prime of their life. It's almost like the first 40 years have all been lessons. And it's not like the lessons stop. But after 40, you've like graduated from the schooling and you can be yourself in your element. Brisa. Brisa just walked in. Came through with the book. It's called Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Yes. And uh, it's written in the 1930s. And Napoleon Hill interviewed, spent like 20 years interviewing the wealthiest people, the 500 like wealthiest people in the world or whatever, and garnered their knowledge and created this book that has like 13 secrets to generating wealth. And a lot of these are mental. A lot of these are about keeping your mind strong, overcoming the ego. A Mm. lot of it is. It's amazing. I remember the first time I read this quote that said like, your words are spells coming out of your mouth. And I was like, words mean things. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. But you know, it's like, we sometimes don't recognize how powerful we are. You know, we have all this power. We, what you say, what you think is powerful. So being able to be in tune with that voice, communicate with that voice, challenge that voice, get that voice to be your cheerleader is so important. Yeah. yeah so yeah, important. Yeah. Um, and then sometimes it's important to know how to silence the extra voices because yeah. we have a lot of voices in our head. A lot. A lot of voices and sometimes your like true sort of essence gets drowned out by all the chatter and that's where i think meditation and stuff comes in the mind is a culprit yes it's very strong tool Mm -hmm. (laughs) yes that's true that's true (laughs) it can be used in many ways yes so rami i wanted to have you on as, as a dear friend right but someone who i feel like is creating work about identity you know really trying to make your own path and show people what this looks like, right? Because I feel like we don't get a lot of Arab men. No. Not in the top, you know, not in mainstream that I could think of. No, I mean, I guess it's it's happening more and more. You know, like there's a there's a show called Rami on Hulu. It's not about me. <laughs> Different Rami. Um, Rami Malik is winning awards for his work too. So it's like there are these like Arab Egyptian Ramis out there that are not me. <laughs> My ego doesn't always love that. <laughs> Other Ramis. Yes. It's like, why can't you be named something else? Why do you have to be Egyptian and Arab and be named Rami like me? Well, at least, you know, you have your uh, doppelganger, if you will. Yeah. Is doing well? 100%. <clears throat> yes, yes, yes. And, um, the, more, the, the more, the merrier. And a win for one of us is a win for all of us. Because we're all one and we're all connected. You are so cute. <laughs> I'm woohoo. Rami's now meditating, <laughs> yoga, think and grow rich. I was not this guy when you met me 10 years ago, that's for sure. Not, I mean, maybe not in this sort of like super enlightened way. What's changed? I think a lot of it has to do with about to be 40. I didn't, I didn't even answer why I'm writing this memoir. Um <laughs> 
uh, turning 40 is, like I said, a big deal. And, um... Rami, uh... Time's up? No, it's... No, in every episode. Every episode, you know, we set a timer or Brisa will jump in. And it's time to ask you our essential question. I like the spinati of it. Okay. Not knowing what it's going to Or central. I would say it's our central and essential. Like, we want we want to know. Okay. Right? What is that one lesson that you've had to learn over and over and over again? This is a perfect timing for the question. Because <laughs> I, I can unfold it into why I'm writing this memoir. Um, but I think the lesson I've had to learn over and over again, and I probably will continue to learn it, is um, how much I'm worth is what self-worth and self-love actually is supposed to mean. I think sometimes it's like a, we talk about like, oh, self-care, love yourself. That all seems like a conceptual. What does it actually mean to like make decisions um, in which you're caring for yourself or you're loving yourself and you knowing what you're worth? And I think in the last few years, like my late 30s, I've had to be tested um, in terms of like my heart, you know, like I've been single most, uh, well, my whole life and I've had very like short term kind of romantic relationships and I was really comfortable being single. It was almost a safe place to be. If you don't have to open your heart, you don't have to give your heart to anyone. You know, it's a, it's okay. You know, like, oh, it's, you don't have to get hurt. Um, but I also felt like I was, I was not giving myself sort of the, my heart the chance to like learn how to love because I noticed I was, I wasn't caring for my friends. I noticed like I didn't know how to care for people. Like I didn't, I couldn't feed people if they came home to my house. I was like, Oh, being single for this long is making me truly not know how to show care, how to take care. I was like, I need to break myself up a little bit. So I would start like dating more and started falling for people, but people probably who I shouldn't have been falling for, like people who are not about, Oh, I'm worth more, but I didn't know what I was worth. I didn't have standards. I was just kind of like in this sort of like ivory tower situation that any kind of opportunity to like meet someone or any sort of, you know, romantic interest seemed like a a, a find, like a, like a huge boon, you know, to go from like complete isolation and loneliness it was like, I'll take anybody. But you actually, that's you not valuing yourself. You know, that's kind of like shopping at the bottom, you know, what's the shelf? The bottom shelf. <laughs> when you deserve top shelf. And maybe we shouldn't high, like categorize other people in that way. I've had to learn the hard way to be more discerning and to know when to walk away when I feel like I'm not getting what I deserve and these are all lessons I've had to keep learning. Um, I think the hierarchy more has to do with like the way people treat you, not, you know, what they do or how much money they make sure. or anything. You know what I'm saying? It's like, yes, these people do not really like me or use me. Yeah. So I'm not going to deal with people that use me. I'm going to deal with, you know, people who make me feel better. I Yeah. So you feel like you had to date a lot of bad guys or. Yeah, I think I just had to like date. I had to know what was attracting me to these guys. And like, do I deserve good treatment? And if I deserve good treatment, 
why am I attracting these guys who don't treat me well? Like, why do I not value myself? Do I not believe I deserve attention? Do I not believe I'm worthy of attention? It's like, I, I didn't think they were bad guys. I just never felt that I was being, you know, cared for. Like, I just felt like I was like, chasing their attention and I was like always trying to like show up for them and they were never showing up for me and there was like no reciprocity but I kept giving as if I don't deserve reciprocity so you know it's all these things like stop settling for less you know like like being single actually I was happy being single it was like I'm too happy being single I want to try to relate to other people, but I have kept having to like devalue myself or, or, you know, to do that. So Rami, you, you realize this or how do you come to this? You know, that's a hard lesson. Cause like you could easily, again, going back to perspective, you could easily say like men are trash. They are. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say that. Yeah. Species has stuff to work through. So everybody does. Everybody I, does. I, I have gone through a many men are trash moments recently. Like if you re- date men, you must. Yeah. Like, I mean, <laughs> men are trash. You know, they, they really, I, I truly think I've never met a man who treats me as well as I treat them. I don't think I've ever met that. You know, I hope you meet that. Thank you. You know, I um, hope so too. I hope you meet that. I believe that it's possible. And there's so many people that to think that not one of us, no, not one of the men, because not us, because we're not what you're looking for. I mean, it it depends. It could be, who knows at this point. No, see, that's the thing. It's like, you don't want to, I didn't mean it like that. (laughs) I'm not desperate, of course, and, but I love people and I am also trying not to be too narrow-minded in oh i need to have this like cisgender man and it has to be like no you know like just like fall in love with people like you obviously have to be attracted to them but it's like you have to be attracted to their insides not just their outsides that's really the lesson to be honest okay so the actual lesson is don't fall for pretty pretty boys boys. who like don't care for you (laughs) yeah and it's like their attention meant so much why does why does the attention of a pretty boy mean so much it felt so good it's as if it's like, I don't believe I deserve it. So it's like, I got this like treasure, but all I'm getting is a little bit of attention. Not even enough. I'm giving you more than you're giving me. <laughs> so the memoir is going to be of some recounting of like these challenging sort of like romantic situations, especially the most recent one, you know, and it's kind of like the precipice of this memoir is a year ago for my birthday, I went on a trip with someone and it was a really unpleasant trip and we came back and stopped speaking and I'm like 39 years old and this person was in their 20s they were younger and it was like why am I like why did I engage in this sort of relationship in which I don't feel like I'm valued or I'm not I'm not getting what I deserve why did I like go on a trip with this person for my birthday it felt so such an act of self-sabotage and I was like I need to be able to learn these lessons without sabotaging myself in the process so that's I think the memoir kind of is being spurred by these really unhealthy decisions that I keep making. Are you calling yourself out on these? Dis- you know? Yeah, no, for sure. I don't see myself as a victim in that in those scenarios. Um, it takes two to tango, uh, but I definitely was a co-creator. So what? What now then? Right, you write this memoir, you call yourself out. 
What is the hope? What is the dream? What's next? The hope is from that sort of going within, feeling at peace, knowing I'm complete and I don't need anything external to fulfill me or complete me. That is of the ultimate hope, I think, in my existence, of course. Mm -hmm. I think this memoir should help me, hopefully, heal a lot of the past so my 40s and my 50s can be more um, creative rather than, or productive rather than destructive. You know, like learn from the wounds and make more holistic decisions in which I value myself. That's the hope. Yeah. I mean, for everybody, I would hope. I mean, that's what the <clears throat> memoir, I'm writing the memoir for my own healing. I believe people should tell their own stories for their own healing. I mean, if you ask me, actually ask me what my work is, I really, it's more than an artist. I see myself as a healer, you know, and I don't like to say that. That sounds very egotistical. It actually sounds a little like, oh, I'm like God, I'm holy, I'm, I'm, I'm magical. But no, I think, I think my work provides healing. I've seen it. It's wonderful. Because it's healing you and then it's also helping others find. Yeah, their own healing. That's beautiful. Rami, I'd like to thank you for coming on today. Thanks for having me. This was fun. Oh, this I'm was, so glad. And I feel mad valid. Mad, ah! mad validated. <laughs> yes. But Rami, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. And congrats on this uh, podcast of yours. I'm so proud of you. You know, we've known each other for, what, 10 years. And look at you creating your own little section making people feel mad valid. I love it. Thanks, Rami. This is me overcoming my fears and facing things on as well. And We all have to. Yeah, we gotta do what we gotta do. And this will be for your own healing. Absolutely. Yes. To being vulnerable. Yes. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you so much! Thanks for listening to this episode of the Mad Valid Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Reina Erika. I hope that you'll come back again next week. So you can follow us on IG. We're Mad Valid Podcast. And you can also email us and send us ideas, thoughts, questions, things that came up for you, topics, advice if you want some at madvalidpodcast at gmail.com. We will share details on our guests and where you can follow them in our show notes and please take care of yourselves and remember we're all afraid of something and fear is not real it's just in our heads and we can do this remember I do this because I really wanted to do this but I was also very afraid and the only way to get anything done is to put one foot in front of the other one step at a time one day at a time one thing at a time Nothing gets done by trying to do everything at the same time. Thanks for hanging in there. We're all doing our best. <laughs> Hopefully we'll see you next week. Stay valid.